This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch in Kansas City. I am your host and the editor-in-chief of The Pitch, Brock Wilbur. How is everybody's Friday? How is your Friday today? This is a pretty good Friday. I'm into this Friday. Don't know why I'm saying it like Friday, but I, I feel the vibe. Feeling the Friday vibe. Making copies. Uh, it seems like we just uh, blasted through winter real fast there. I had about a week where uh, just, uh, it just didn't seem like a pleasant idea to go out in the, the ice and the snow, and uh, now it's in the 50s again, and everybody's going for walks. I'm fine with it. I know that the dog is. Our dog, Captain Trips, was a uh, kennel rescue. I don't think he's ever dealt with snow before, uh, but he he had to spend about a week there running out to use the restroom in the backyard uh, while, while standing in snow. And uh, God, he loved it. He just loved every minute of it. First day, he was like, I don't understand what any of this is. By second day, uh, it's one of the first times he's ever refused to come in in the morning. He was just like, no, Gotta gotta eat all this snow. Gotta dance in it. Gotta gotta prance around. Uh, I love this. My feet are cold. I like that for some reason. Uh, and normally when he comes in, even if it's a little wet outside, he really wants us to dry his feet off before he marches around the house, which is good for us because he means he's not marching around the house with mud or whatever. He comes in from the snow. Absolutely no stopping him. He's just uh, he's excited to still have snow on his feet. He definitely prefers that to. The wood floors or the carpet or uh, or my leg. Really, he has a lot of favorites, but snow is apparently his new favorite. Uh, at Christmas, I got a new virtual reality headset called the Oculus. Uh, I've been playing around with that because, uh, I don't know, there's nowhere to go anytime soon. I uh, thought that would be a good way to uh, get out um, into space or under the ocean, things like that. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I, we, we got it as a gift from my family and uh, thought that I and Viv would both get a lot of use out of it. Well, my wife puts it on and has a panic attack about five minutes in, just uh, feels very claustrophobic despite the infinite space. I don't know. We're working on it. She wants to be able to use it. The funny part is that some of the most exciting things to me are uh, are things that aren't necessarily like big fighting games or Star Wars or whatever. It's... Uh, like, there's one that's uh, just a bunch of pinball machines, and it feels like you're standing in an arcade, and you're just playing pinball. And I'm like, this is this is what I wish I was doing right now. I wish I was able to play pinball somewhere, but I don't trust anyone to be wiping down all the buttons uh, or, or what have you. Uh, the funny part about that is that it uses VR to be a little quirky, have some things. So, like, uh, as I was playing a game that's set, like, underwater, um, all of a sudden... Uh, a, a shark swam by uh, in front of me between me and the pinball table. Just one of those like, hey, we can put little guys in boats. Uh, little scuba diver dudes can float by. There could be a shark. My my wife is terrified of sharks. Um, and so I was very glad that I tried out the pinball game before she did, because I, I imagine that if she was playing what she thought was normal human pinball and suddenly a shark flew at her face out of nowhere in 3D, that she would not be playing the Oculus anymore, uh, ever. So, uh, glad I had that one off at the pass. Anyway, that's what's going on inside. Uh, it's kind of nice to wake up into a world where, uh, the head of the country, uh, doesn't announce some new terrifying thing over tweet at 7 a.m. every morning. It rules. I love the new world. Everything's going perfect and nothing will ever be bad again. 
we I'm taking a week. I'm taking a week to be positive, and then we'll go back to Old Brock. I promise we'll get there. Uh, we have a great episode of Streetwise today. Um, we have Nick's Music Corner, as always. We have a really fun interview coming up later. Uh, but first, we have a, a reading from our friend Jason at Stolen Dress Entertainment. It's from uh, our last issue of the magazine. Uh, it's the story of Annika Wooten, uh, who is both a beauty queen, but also a speed painter. Uh, so, Jason, take it away. Annika Wooten Wears the Crown, the speed-painting beauty queen who rules her world, by Anne Knickendorf. Beauty queen Annika Wooten says, RBG is sitting in my living room. It's mid-November 2020, two months after Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. Miss Kansas's voice comes over the phone from her home in Wichita. It seems that she hasn't veered into the occult. She simply spent a lot of time painting one particular portrait of the Justice over and over. In fact, she performed speed painting RBG as her talent in the Miss America competition in 2019. Note, the organization no longer uses the word pageant. For the Miss America competition, Wooten says, I had three canvases that I, for practice runs, would paint over and over. So there's probably 20 versions of RBG beneath RBG. I would paint three in a practice session. I would wait for them to dry. Then I would paint it black and I'd do it again. And now, what became the final version is sitting in Wooten's home, where she moved from Lawrence after being crowned Miss Kansas a year and a half ago. Wichita is the unofficial HQ of the Miss Kansas competition and works well as a central location for all the travel required of the winner. Before the pandemic, Wooten had been on track to make 400 appearances in the full-time position that is Miss Kansas. Now, she mostly executes speaking engagements through Zoom. But what's just as wild as having RBG in her living room is a pandemic bonus that absolutely no one else in Kansas received. An extra year to wear a crown. The 26-year-old Overland Park native expected to hand over the silver tiara to another young woman in the spring but the Miss America organization extended her reign after canceling the 2020 competition. She competed for that crown for six years before she won on her seventh try, the year the organization raised the age limit from 24 to 25. My last year was also my bonus year, and then I got another bonus year thanks to the pandemic, Wooten says. Pageants famously include segments like the interview, the now-defunct swimsuit competition, and the talent show. Wooten says that choosing and executing the talent portion is the only part that's completely in the control of the contestant. For four years, Wooten competed as a singer. In fact, the year she took the state crown, she sang a mashup of Let Me Be Your Star and Don't Forget Me from the NBC show Smash. The other three years, she speed-painted. Each woman who holds the state title competes in the Miss America competition as well, so Wooten had the opportunity to change up her talent. After no deliberation at all, she decided to make a return to speed painting when she had the national platform. You get one shot. You have 90 seconds on stage. You can't control your interview questions. You can't control your onstage questions. But your talent. You can plan and prepare for that 90 seconds all you want, Wooten explains. Speed painting is still an unusual talent in the world of beauty pageants. But a four-year-old New York Magazine article Wooten appeared in suggests it's gaining in popularity. The most well-worn talents are singing, dancing, and playing an instrument, often a piano. In 2019, when Wooten competed on the Miss America stage, she wasn't alone in performing speed painting as her talent. Joanna Wicks, Miss Delaware, also tried her hand at it. However, Wooten says, 
I believe I'm the first speed painter to place in the top 15 and to also win a talent award. The activity is unlike regular painting in several ways other than taking place in a short amount of time. Wooten paints at different speeds depending on the event. 90 seconds is the quickest, but then there's medium speed, which is around 7 minutes for a demo, and then a longer performance of up to 60 minutes for a pre-COVID cocktail hour. Wooten, who's a lefty, paints double-handed, especially during those speed rounds. She laughs and says, I've got two hands in 90 seconds. We're going to use everything we've got. Her right hand does the crude work of paint application, sometimes in big globs just to get it on the canvas. Then her left hand forms the lines and curves of the painting subject. The two-handed approach wows like a magic trick. Wooten uses a special spinning easel. Once she's completed the painting, she rotates what appears to be an abstract jumble of shapes to reveal a scene like the Wizard of Oz's emerald castle surrounded by its field of red poppies. Other times, that flip reveals a face, as it did when she painted Ginsburg. Wooten chose to paint Ginsburg because it's her view that the woman embodied the Miss America organization's mission statement, to prepare great women for the world, and to prepare the world for great women. I get goosebumps every time I say it, Wooten says. Miss Kansas cites Ginsburg's work for LGBTQ plus rights, women's rights, and human rights as inspiration for her decision to make her the subject of a painting. We're also showing that we're so much more than what we look like, and we're more than our gender. And she did the same thing, open doors for people as well, Wooten says. And she didn't just appropriate Ginsburg's image. That would not have been genteel. She asked and received permission from the woman herself. Wooten drew a sort of mini-comic book of her game plan and mailed it to the Supreme Court. Within days, Wooten received an email from a Supreme Court address telling her the justice had approved. A beauty queen isn't about to perform in dead silence, so each painting has an accompanying soundtrack. With a small team, Wooten created a special one for Ginsburg she hoped would reflect the values of the Miss America organization and RBG as well. She teamed up with a teacher from the high school she attended in Virginia. Miss Kansas was born in Overland Park and earned a degree from KU, but most of her schooling took place in the Southeast, and Kansas City writer Emily Wilkinson, to write a spoken word poem largely comprised of Ginsburg quotations. A composer in the Netherlands wrote the music, and the 17 women Wooten knew in Virginia recited the poem. Wooten did not win that competition, but something happened that she says was just as good or better. Ginsburg's trainer saw a photo of the preliminary competition and messaged Wooten to ask for a video. She sets the scene. It was the night before the final competition. My roommate was Miss Oklahoma, and she was on the phone with her parents, and I was sitting there browsing social media. That's when Wooten received a message from RBG's trainer. He said he'd shown the justice a video. Like most audience members, Ginsburg couldn't understand what Wooten was painting at first. He said, just wait, and then when I flipped it at the end, she said, Oh my gosh, how did she do that? I immediately started crying. In September, Wooten traveled to Washington, D.C. and stood at the bottom of the Supreme Court steps to pay tribute to Ginsburg, which she counts as among the most memorable moments of her life. For the most part, she donates or auctions her paintings, but she thinks she'll hang on to the one sitting in her living room. And now it's time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. Brandon Phillips of the eponymous Condition, Other Americans, and The Architects releases Cyclist, the sophomore album from his one-man synthwave project Mensa Death Squad, on February 23rd. 
Recorded in a spare bedroom while recovering from surgery, quote, with an open wound in his abdomen, two surgical drains, and a severely compromised immune system, end quote, the first single, Nothing Is Ever Enough, sees Phillips go full faint with nasty scents and a pulsing beat. That's not this week's track, but you can check it out as part of the recent single sentence singles roundup along with other local notables. No, for the podcast this week, we're digging into one of Mensa Death Squad's live in a basement videos Phillips put out over the course of 2020. This is a dark as hell cover of Iggy Pop's The Passenger, which melds the swing of the original with the electronic attitude of Michael Hutchins' 1995 cover version. For more information on Mensa Death Squad, check out facebook.com slash Mensa Death Squad or mensadeathsquad.bandcamp.com. Here's The Passenger.
So I get a lot of emails from people uh, who write in and say, hey, you should interview me about my book that's coming out. I'm from Casey. I've got a book and I'm often like, cool, let's uh, let's do that there book thing. Sounds like fun. Um, what's it about? Uh, and uh, had had a woman that wrote in uh, near the end of December who was like, I have this book that I spent five years working on. I was like, uh-huh. And she's like, it's about astrology. And I was like, so here's the thing. Uh, a few weeks ago, I would have laughed at this and 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 just said thank you and have a nice day. But my coworker Kelsey at the pitch forced me to get the app uh, CoStar, uh, which is a an astrology app that gives you your daily readings and tells you stuff. And uh, I don't know, it's been kind of fun. I I don't believe in it, but I do believe in having fun. And sometimes the things there. Uh, you know what? Everyone likes to have a, a coach. Everyone likes to have somebody tell them, you know what you should try doing? Because the worst thing that you can do is try doing that. And overwhelmingly, the stuff that I've gotten from this is like, what if today you try to do this thing a little outside your box? And uh, sure, why not? It makes it makes me aware of that. And uh, good things, I think, have come from it. So I don't know. Uh, I'm going to keep being dumb uh, in a positive way because there's no reason not to. Anyway, Julia wrote this incredible book that is just, it, it is so much math and like detail. And I was like, I, yeah, let's talk, let's talk astrology. I want, convince me a little bit of what's happening here. And uh, anyway, we, uh, we did this interview. And then afterwards, she spent about two hours uh, giving me a very, very detailed rundown of my chart. Uh, uh, she, uh, you should see the, the data sheets that she gave to me. They're just insane. It just looks like a giant it looks like that somebody mapped the human genome and then handed it back to me. And I'm like, I don't know what any of these numbers or characters mean. It seems fascinating. Uh, and it was a really nice time. Uh, so uh, this is uh, Julia Purdy, the author of The Jupiter Advantage, Astrology's Path to Opportunity. Uh, here's our conversation. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Would you uh, introduce yourself to the audience? Thank you. Glad to be here. My name's Julia Purdy. I am a born and raised Kansas Cityan. I um, am an astrologer. I actually started studying astrology way back in my 20s when I was going to college. I picked up a book in a bookstore that used to be down on Troost, and it was an out-of-print version of a book by a man named Grant Louie, and he was fabulous, and it just kind of got my imagination going. I, it captured me, and I just kept at it, kept studying it and reading about it over the years. And while I worked and raised a family and did all the normal stuff, and then, um, and then, oh, in about 2008, a school opened in, in Seattle, Washington called Kepler College. And it was a fairly ambitious effort to actually create an academic degree-granting liberal arts institution that had the history of astrology and culture and the transmission of astrology and culture as its backbone. And I grabbed onto that and started taking, uh, working on a master's in the transmission of astrology and culture and got not all the way through it. The school kind of crashed and burned, unfortunately, which is too bad because it's a great school, but um, it didn't didn't quite make it. So I didn't quite get done with my MA. I'm still working on it. Um, but anyway, my interest in and knowledge of and exploration about astrology just zoomed. It just went nuts. You know, I just really, it took off for me. And so I've been, uh, you know, I retired now. I'm a I worked in corporate IT for a long time, and then I I left all that, and now I'm I'm just doing this. And my effort, this book is my. I decided to write a book. I didn't actually decide to write a book. It just kind of happened to me. 
I don't know if books do that for people, but I'm not an author by trade. I'm a technical writer, but not really an author. But it, it evolved in a process of doing some other things that seemed like a solution to a problem because I needed some better explanations of what I was talking about for an app. And it evolved into these snippets that didn't work in the app into this a little bit longer thing into a little bit longer thing until all of a sudden I had 500 pages. And I'm like, I, I just grew, which is the way Jupiter works. It just grows things, you know, it doesn't know when to stop. And uh, so it was all about Jupiter. It happened to be an opportune time in my personal astrology where it just kind of Jupiter just kind of grabbed me. And I did you say it. It sounds like maybe the stars decide for you when you write a book like it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I in my case, it kind of did. I think I think it was like I had and I won't get into a lot of complicated um, concepts about astrology, but there were three or four what we call perfecting transits and aspects and progressions and all of that that kind of met up at the same time. And they were all about Jupiter. And it's kind of intriguing. It's really quite amazing. If you, for me, it was just like, wow, this, I mean, it wasn't even Jupiter-ish. It was literally Jupiter. And so I find that fascinating. I mean, it's just me. I, I found that fascinating. That's what fascinates me about astrology. It just, it's a map and it, it's a study of cycles and history and re repetition of history and meaning it's like astronomy with meaning so time and motion are equivalent and you can start to map things out in repeating cycles and that's basically what it is <laughs> and you know you can get sucked in i warn you you can get sucked in we spoke when you reached out about how uh, you were like would you have interest in this astrology book and i was like you know a, a few months ago i i don't think i would but um my my Co-worker uh, had me sign up for CoStar, the astrology app, and uh, matched up with friends on there, and I've been checking it with a little more frequency lately. And I was like, "Okay, you know what? I'm at the very least, I have the footing to be able to start this conversation with you, and and some int renewed interest in like what this all means." And so your book couldn't have come along at a at a more interesting time for me to be like, "I I'm not sure what I think about all this." And then you're like, "What if you read a?" Uh, a book that is a four-year academic style study of the history and future of astrology. Like, yeah, you you this this seems like such a a dense and well-researched text on on what this actually is. And like I feel like that's not the sort of thing that I've commonly come across in the astrology world. Like it, in my position at the pitch, I have a lot of people that email me wanting me to like publish the astrology columns that they write and it a, a lot of them feel like it's just somebody sitting in a room making things up and mm -hmm. i can tell that your approach to this is 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 so uh is so academic and and based on such a a solid foundation of like two decades of work and almost finishing a a school that crashed and burned like what is once you found yourself uh hooked on it a bit what was what was the the thing that really sold you on like, I think I want to give this all my time. Like what, what took this from sort of uh, being a hobby to being like, I am, I am fully into this. <laughs> Realizing that I could get a master's degree, a liberal arts master's degree in the study of astrology, just, just really took it from, um, uh, from an interest that intrigued me. And I'm a pretty logical soul. So I never, I'm not willing 
to take things on on faith either. And I uh, never could, I, it intrigued me. I knew it worked. I had no idea why, but I read my Grant Lilly book and it was me all over. And I was like, this, this is cool. I don't get it. I don't know that I can take it seriously. And, uh, but I, it never left my attention. I would continue to read books by Jungian, astro uh, Jungian uh, especially Jungian astrologers in Britain and Blues Green and, and, and Karen Zontag and some of them, you know, that I just started collecting the books and it was more a, I, I, a more modern, more psychological kind of approach. And it just got my, I mean, it just resonated and I just kept reading it, but I never considered as a Capricorn that I would be able to use it in any way other than just being interested in it. And, um, and people go out and I, there's astrologers out there and they live in the margins and they, you know, they, they, they're, they're half psychics and, and they're, some of them are really good, but you don't know, but the why of it was always the question. And I what wasn't really willing to take seriously, I grappled with the of it. And I did some, what I realized is that it's deeply rooted in the philosophy of science from early Greece. And so if you take apart the philosophy of science, the meta, the meta behind science and the current accepted norms of science or the scientific method, et cetera, and you go behind and you take it back into the a different, the, the meta of science from early Greece, and you realize that it's way more philosophical, obviously, they didn't have the tools to be quite as precise astronomically, but uh, but the philosophy of science really kind of works. And I, I don't know uh, what the difference, what the, what the meeting space is between the two different philosophies of science post and pre-scientific method, but, but there is a space in there where we don't know what science is. If the philosophy of science is not fully fleshed out physics isn't fully fleshed out. There's a lot about the universe we don't understand. And there's, and I think it's very deeply rooted in philosophy. And uh, once you kind of start studying different philosophies, you realize that there really might be a space for it to fit in, a, in the philosophical architecture of how the universe could work. Probably not yet discovered, but it's not necessarily invalid. It's just before it's time and after uh -huh. it's time, kind of at the same time. But anyway, I'm deeply intrigued by the philosophies behind it. So not to get too heady about it, but, but uh, I was, but, but studying that part of it gave me a space to take it more seriously, basically to be able to say, okay, this, this isn't something the reason for I can fully justify, but I can allow for the fact that it could be. How many of your friends treat this like a party trick? Like, hey, you're you're here. Give me my reading. <laughs> um, not many, because most of my friends are astrologers now, <laughs> and they can do their own charts. <laughs> but I do have a lot of family that think I'm nuts. This is something I just did on my own. I wasn't something that I was raised in. I didn't have a mom who was a psychic. I didn't have anybody uh, behind me. You know, they give me any kind of context for it. It's a book I discovered in a bookstore and it grabbed me. And I'm the only one in my world, in my familial world, who has 
any awareness of it. And my son thinks I'm nuts. My brothers all think I'm nuts. You know, they all think I'm nuts and that's okay. <laughs> I, I can't <laughs> explain it. I don't, you know, they're all fairly logical. Yeah, you seem very comfortable with your choices here and, and not yeah, the sort of person I, to be phased yeah, by disbelief. I've looked at so many charts. I know it works. I may not be able to tell you exactly why it works and I'm not going to get into a lot of hooey dooey about why it might just, you know, esoterically work and all that. So I don't think anybody knows. I do find it fascinating that you you bring up that sort of uh, astrology exists at this crossover point between a number of dif different disciplines, like you're bringing up Carl Jung and, and and psychology and the interpretation of dreams and stuff, and and it seems to extend into obviously astronomy and and into math. And is is it so fascinating to you because it it, it dips a toe in just about everything that it's it's this interesting middle of the Venn diagram for a for a form of science to you. It's grown to be that. It didn't start out being that. It started out being something that worked and I didn't know why and it got my curiosity going. It didn't fit the model of any science that I'd ever been exposed to. It was hard to take it seriously and yet it worked. I saw it work. It worked like, like on the money worked. Uh, it was actually fairly precise when you get into some of the transits and stuff, it works. And I didn't know why, but it worked. And for me, it was became then an interest. Now it didn't become a profession until I really until I really reconciled the why it works part, the philosoph philosophy behind it part, so that I felt like I could use it with confidence. But I I knew it worked. I just didn't know why. So I'm fascinated to know about that that ramp up period for you. When did you start to feel like it sounds like there were several sort of steps there. When did you start to feel like it was working and and what level of, of trust did you place in it? Like, I, I, I think that part of part of my uh, entry level adoption of it is wondering, like, I, I will uh, read my report and be like, I can't tell if this is telling me what I what I should be doing or if I am supposed to be self actualizing the ideas there or if this is just giving me a heads up about what's coming like. What, what was your transition into, into, when did you know it was working and what form did that take? And like, how did you interact with it like before and after that? Every step of the way was confirming incrementally. So I, I don't know that there was a magic point where I went from over the, over the bridge into the land of, oh yeah, this, you know, of, I'm gone, I'm lost in the woo-woo. But um I, every step of the way was confirming everything I did. Confirmed. I, I think "Lost in the Woo Woo" should be the title of the next book. That'll <laughs> that'll just really get everyone on board. I think. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did. Um, I think that maybe the point where I felt. I mean, every step of the way was confirming. Every book I had by a legitimate author was confirming. Everything I read by legitimate sources. And back in the, when I started doing it. It, there was no internet. It was books. You had to learn how to do the chart yourself. You had to learn to do the astronomy. If you ever meet an astrologer who says they're an astrologer and they don't know how to do the calculate the astronomy, they're not. Um, really, because astrology is astronomy, and it's it's just layering on meaning onto astronomy. But without the astronomy, astrology is nothing. And because uh, because the calculations are mathematical for timing and cycles, et cetera. Um, 
But I, I think the turning point for me where, where a light bulb went off that I could put this somewhere that I could accept it logically was when I started, when I was introduced to a lot of the different philosophies of, of reality. And, uh, and actually, and I, I, I did some workshops, some EST workshops, style workshops at some point many years ago, back in the back in when I was working and some of them were sponsored by my company and they were deeply philosophical in the different approaches to what makes real real kind of philosophies and the different astrologers philosophers that had different musings on from Kant to uh, a, a lot of different philosophers who had written and thought about what real reality is and when I when I was opened up to that philosophical to the different musings on the philosophical constructs of what reality might be it it gave me a place to put astrology in a context that 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 was different than the simple simple science I'd learned before because I uh, and so really it was philosophical it was the study of philosophy and the opening up to the different philosophical concepts beyond Bertrand Russell that that uh, gave me a space to say oh people have thought about this Maybe they haven't thought about astrology, but they've thought about what reality, the constructs of reality might be that we don't really understand. And then I, then the suddenly astrology was something that became more um, viable as a, as a system of exploration. What do you hope that people would get from the book? When I wrote the book, the thing that frustrates me about astrologers writing books is that they're lazy. They <laughs> write books, <laughs> they write all these books and they say all these things and where do they get the information and why? And I've even seen sun sign books where they write all these, um, these musings on what this and that mean. And then they write a paragraph at the end of the book that says, and here's all these people that share this sign. And I'm like, why did, who, so what, you know, what does that mean? You know, so what? And how, and, and how are you connecting the dots that make all those people? And this is a learning opportunity for somebody to study astrology, but you don't really study astrology, but you don't really give them any information that they can use other than what you, you know what I mean? I mean, they're no, it's quite literally just listing people that share a birthday. Yeah, yeah they, it's like, me yeah. and Jimi Hendrix don't share a lot at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah. Why is Jimi Hendrix in there and somebody else in there? Because, you know, I don't remember what his signature is. All I think he's in the book. And so, so that always used to bug me when I was studying because it was like, okay, I'm glad you mentioned all these people. And why are you connecting? Why are they in here? Because nobody ever said they just listed them. And so that would kind of bother me. A lot of the concepts of astrology in, uh, in the Western tradition, every, a lot of cultures have astrologies, their own astrologies. Mayans have theirs based on Venus. Chinese have theirs based on, I don't know exactly what theirs is on, the sun, I think. Indians, the India uh, have the Vedic tradition based on the moon. I mean, this, this astrology that we use uh, in the West is, is a Greek inheritance. And so the Greek inheritance uh, is from a Stoic philosophy. Uh, and that inheritance and the rules around that um, tradition are pretty concrete and we lost a lot of them. The history 
a lot of that information was buried um, and lost. And it's been a lot of it's been rediscovered. And most of the traditions and the rules of, of uh, Western astrology have already been written, basically. And so you'll find a lot of astrologers now that that information has become more available and translated from the Greek and the Latin and the places where it was Arabic and the Persian, where it was all kind of sent out and translated and buried and lost. And now it's all been kind of dug up. And a lot of the Greek has been translated and people are rediscovering a lot of the Greek concepts and, you know, adding to the to the uh, body of knowledge and, and, and a lot, most of the, so when somebody writes an astrology book, they're usually writing about what they learned from another, you know, from historical tradition. And it's, and if you want to, and so I, I think what I was trying to do without becoming an apologist, which I really didn't want to do, but I wanted to explain Jupiter was an easy planet to do an exploratory discussion of what it means just two planet pairs. So people know that their sun sign is a certain thing. I mean, a sun sign. And then, but they don't realize that they're actually a whole solar system of, of planetary archetypes that interact with each other. And that's way too complicated, right? To, to take on initially, you know, at one time, a lot of times they weren't expecting it. But if you, so I kind of saw Jupiter as a highly visible archetype because it is social. Jupiter and Saturn are the two social planets. And so they are highly visible, especially in personalities who have strong Jupiters um, because they're famous and strong Jupiter. Most people who are famous have a pretty potent Jupiter uh, archetype. And so it's something, it's probably the only planet this works with, but you can actually do a study of public personalities and see Jupiter in action huh. because of the nature of Jupiter's archetype. And, uh, and so it was an easy book to actually not just list names, but actually talk about the commonalities of people who have that archetypal signature. And, it, and so it became sort of an, a, 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 I got into it, you know, and I took, uh, uh, I screened Wikipedia, based screen, screen scraped it basically and ended up with a database of 25,000 names. <laughs> I, called, I mean, this was a thing I did. I mean, it was a big project and it just kept growing as Jupiter does. It just makes things bigger. And I just kept going until I finally said I had to stop. But I took that database of 75,000 or 25,000 names and sorted them all by sun in one sign, Jupiter in another, which is 144 combinations. And, uh, and then sorted through them and kept the ones that were A in English had enough information publicly to be able to research the personalities a little bit and um, and and sort through them and organize them and um, ended up with about 20 usable names of 100 in each of the 144 signatures maybe which uh -huh. considering the beginning of time or the beginning of history or 1600s or 1500s or however many people have bios and wikipedia that's not a very big sample that's one month out of every 12 years because the sun goes around once 12 goes through 12 zodiac signs in a year jupiter takes a year to go through a zodiac sign so it takes 12 years to go around the full zodiac so the sun in one and jupiter in another meet up 
once every 12 years for a month in a perfect circular orbit, which isn't the case. There's some other stuff. But anyway, so that's one month out of every 12 years ends up being a pretty small sample. And so it, then it got interesting when I realized I had like 20 people out of all of history to work right. with. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so then it, then it got interesting and I started studying up on the on that pool and come up with the most interesting ones the ones that had the most information um, that I could look at that, that, you know and a lot of artists and public personalities creative types um, and it had you know because they're you know that that's the nature of that person of being a, you know, an artist or a performer or whatever. So being in Wikipedia for publicity purposes is important. And there's a lot and a lot of interviews and uh, stuff. And so my pool of people uh, ended up being uh, mostly a lot, maybe probably leaning to a little bit to two more expressive souls because that would, that's why they're in Wikipedia. But uh, it's still artists and performers and those kinds of people, uh, the Jupiter archetype gets expressed in their work because they're, that's their essential nature. So when, it, when, a, when a character for an actor resonates, it's, or a book, to, book theme resonates or becomes well-known or famous or their best work or their most recognized work or their most acknowledged uh, uh, performance, it's usually because it resonates their Jupiter archetype. Final question here. Um, if Kansas City uh, had a zodiac sign, what does what would Kansas City be? Kansas City has a zodiac sign. Kansas City is in Aries and it's Jupiter and Sagittarius. Uh, Kansas City, is the, when you use mundane charts and charts of events or places or countries or cities, that are, you use their incorporation date. Okay. And so I can tell you real quickly what Kansas City is. It's I actually did some work for uh, in the Telegraph. I helped a, a woman do some uh, one of the writers there do some work on the Kansas City chart, and it is um, I can tell you real quick. Um, let me look it up. I should have looked it up early. The Kansas City Royals has a chart. Kansas City, the Kansas City was incorporated in um, March 28th, 1853. And it is an Aries with Jupiter in Sagittarius. And then it has a Mars, Venus, Neptune conjunction in Pisces. And the theme for that, for Aries Sagittarius is a cowboy. Okay. Cow <laughs> so we, yeah, we got our start in the stockyards. We got our start in the cattle industry and uh, that we're famous for our cows and that the cowboy theme is very strong in the setup of the chart. Um, however, it's also has a very fine sense of aesthetics. So the Mars, Venus and Pisces is very aesthetic and with Neptune there, it increases it. And uh, so Venus and Mars are 24 and 25 Pisces. And that gives us the city that's overriding um, sense of aesthetics and beauty. So we have, not only are we a cow town, but we're the city of fountains and we're 
the stack, the, the you know, the, the statues and the, the uh, Nichols fountains and all of that. And then, you know, we have this very artistic sensibility. Um, so it's kind of a dual thing. And then the interesting thing is that we also have a node in a square and um, a nodal square to that. So sometimes we have to remember, you know, we have to make a decision about are we a rough and ready or are we a, a, a aesthetic? But but we're mo we're moving towards the aesthetic. Obviously, the the node is is into the move, moving us towards the aesthetic. But so we have both a strong sense of aesthetics and we're a cow town, and that comes up in the chart pretty strong. Julia, where can people get the Jupiter Advantage? The Jupiter Advantage is available in Aquarius and Prosperos. They're carrying it. You can order it from any bookstore um, and. Um, online, and then I have it at the jupiteradvantage.com. If you want to get it quickly, I can media mail it. Uh, locally, it goes overnight. Um, long distance, it goes, oh, it takes a little longer. The post office is a little host up. But, Thank uh, you so much for chatting with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> All right. You. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was the Street Wives podcast from Kansas City. I'm your host, Brock Wilbur. That was so much fun. Everybody have a wonderful Friday or uh, whenever you're listening to this. Obviously, if you're listening to this on Saturday, I don't begrudge you for not getting to it on Friday. You are not damned to have a bad Saturday now. Have a good whatever day this can possibly be. Uh, I hope that you are having a fun time out there. I hope I did not uh, jinx us into a bunch of snowy weather again. Uh even though my dog would apparently love it. Uh, thank you guys so much for participating in this show and participating in what we do at The Pitch. Uh, please check out thepitchkc.com, uh, where uh, we are doing news, uh, content, cool stuff each and every day for you. Uh, please check out copies of the magazine, which are available on stands now and online for your reading enjoyment. Uh, if you want to chip in a few bucks, that's always welcome. Uh, please check out uh, thepitchkc.com for opportunities to become a sustaining member of what we do, uh, or just throw us a few bucks and feel like you've done a good deed for the day, which is always welcome. I hope you're staying safe out there. I, I hope that you are being kind to yourself. Pitch in and we'll make it. production of the pitch podcast network the pitch is kansas city's independent source for news and culture check out the pitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us including information for how to subscribe to the pitch or become a sustaining member story ideas or feedback write to tips at the pitchkc.com pitch in and we'll make it through